0: So question one would be, what is revival? To bring, back to, life. to bring back to life. Perfect. What else you got? Stanley says repentance. Like a raging fire of, what do you mean by fire? So that's a metaphor. You don't mean actually burning things down is revival. So, so white hot love. Yes. And you said... Hey, that's the name of a conference I invented one time. Yeah. Well, we had it like five times, but yeah. Here's what I wrote down as my definition. Technically, the word revival has to do with something coming back to what it's meant to be, right? So it, it implies something's been lost. You don't say it's something is getting vived. You say something's getting revived. Okay. So it's coming back to vibrance from a state of decline. You said coming to life, right? Coming back to life. life. So something's coming back from a state of decline, from stagnation, from dormancy. And often revival's more like the, the shell of formality, that continued when the first love left the building, but the behaviors kind of stayed okay. Revival is usually the first love returning to the formality, some, usually. But for a lot of us, it is repentance, where even the form has, has got to change, where, where things just need to, need to be... So when it happens with, a, with one person, we wouldn't really call that a revival, would we? I would say, I, I'm in a revival, right? You could say that. I remember Diane Acoth one day asked me how I was doing when I was coming up the front steps. I said, I am a walking revival. Okay. I, was a, I was having a good day. I was having a good day. But usually when it happens with an individual, we call it spiritual renewal. But if you get a whole bunch of people together who are experiencing personal renewal... Bro, that's to me like the definition of a revival. Yeah. Which makes me go, okay, so when we say revival, we're usually talking corporate, the, the, the body of Christ is, is being breathed on and is returning to what she was saved and what she was made and saved to be. And when that happens, usually you have people like me say, that's a move of God. Mm-hmm. Be- be- and that, because in other words, it's not... Human. It's not just a bunch of people getting excited about going to services. It's not good leadership. It's not good planning. It's the Spirit of God in power doing something intimate, doing something personal upon the hearts and souls of men and women and children. All right, peaks and troughs. Do you guys know what a sine wave is? Here's a peak. Here's a trough. I think most of us would say that emotionally, our lives kind of look like that. I'm not saying our obedience looks like that. I'm not saying our faith looks like that. I'm not saying maybe it does. It shouldn't. But I think most of us would say, life has these. Life has these. I'm going to chart what I believe is the life cycle of a group. First stage movement. Second stage organization. Third stage institution. Fourth stage. You want to guess? <laughs> <laughs> museum. I thought that's what it said. And if the group and if the group doesn't return to the movement stage, and at least at least interpersonally, at least in their hearts to why we got into this in the first place, then it becomes a museum. Right? A movement is a group of people, like-minded people who are experiencing the same thing at the same time. And because we're experiencing the same thing at the same time, we're being carried along by the same energy, it's like we're riding the same wave, we're being pulled by the same current. And we look around and we go, oh my word, you're going where I'm going, you're excited about what I'm excited with, you're like me, you're me, I get you, and you understand me, like we're a part of something, oh my word. You know, what? we should actually formalize this relationship so that we can go after this thing even more. Organization, now we grab a whole bunch of other little groups like ours and we affiliate. Are you like us, are you like us, are you like us, are you one of us, you're going where we're going, oh my word, this is cool. Now there's like nine of us, little groups, we're an institution, it'd be like our denomination. And if it, if, if it doesn't stay fresh, if it doesn't keep in the voice of God, in the presence of God, in the obedience of, G, of daily with Jesus and like the, the honest evaluation, being able to receive discipline and correction, staying hungry, staying humble, staying childlike, staying like an, in the posture of a, begin, of a beginner, then what ha- ends up happening is the, the, the institution ends up being the measure of truth. Like, oh, you're not in my institution? You're less than me. Oh, you're not in my institution? You're not, you're not me. You're an outsider. I got a friend who joined us, wanted to become a Mennonite. And I was like, that's not what we're about here. What do you mean? But aren't you Mennonites? Yeah, but not like that. Like, can you imagine Menno Simons being happy that we were called Mennonites? He'd be horrified. He is horrified. Follow Jesus. Read your Bible. Don't read my sermons. Read the Bible. Don't follow me. Follow the spirit I was led by in life. What are you doing? Right? If an institution does not stay into the original currents of its movement and keep kind of cycling back... If we don't keep cycling back and cycling back to the why, our original why, which for us is Jesus, God's love, the gospel, that we get to belong to God as his kids and walk with him in life, and we get to act as his representatives in the world, inviting others into the relationship, get to join him in his work. If we don't keep cycling back to the why behind our what, what can end up happening is we end up thinking of our group as the measure of truth instead of the one who called us. And then we can end up sitting around and trying to make other people really appreciate our group, our group's theology, our group's people, our group's traditions, our group's buildings, our group's documents, our group's stuff, our group's contributions. And we can take new, are you here for the tour? Okay, let me tell you about how awesome we are. It's so lucky for you to have us today. And you tell them the great stories of the stuff God used to do. But it's what he used to do. That's death. When we spend too much time talking about what God used to do. It's okay. Listen, Deuteronomy 8. Remember the long road that the Lord your God has brought you to here. We're going to tell the story. But not as a story. As a testimony to stir up our faith for now. Now. Because the God of the long road to here is the God of this moment and the trial that I'm in, that I'm facing. That's why we want to remember. All right, okay, ready? All right. Really, what I'm saying is, revival is an ongoing need. That's why I'm, we have to keep cycling back around, cycling back around. Don't otherwise we go crash and burn, put a little grave up in here, oh rip. My dad has this funny idea. Um, Tim, if you're not going forward, you're dying. You're either growing or you're dying. There's no stalled. There's no holding still. Dad, you're intense. And he doesn't think he's intense, by the way. He just thinks that's common sense. Think. Okay, here's a quote for you. It's a Tim Miller idea. And you can tell me, t- tell me if you agree with this or not. Revival is God's job, but holiness is ours. It seems to me that one of the major themes of all revivals, because you know, to write down these notes and reflect on this, I, I was sort of looking over the last 2,000 years of church history, and holiness is a theme of revival. Like, I can't think of a single revival where people said, Let's do what we want. In every revival, it led to people saying, Let's do what God wants. Let's obey Jesus more and better. I feel like revival is is God's work. We can't make a revival happen. We can't really schedule a revival. The idea of having an annual revival, we should probably retitle what we call those services. Those aren't annual revivals. We are praying for revival. We want revival. But that's God's work, and he won't come because we put a thing in our in our calendar. He will come if we pray and mean it. I don't know. We could say we're going to have an annual service praying for revival, hoping for revival, pleading with God for revival, trying to return to the Lord. But, but revival's God's work and I think holiness is is our work. Yep. If you get a group of people genuinely moving in repentance, Genuinely, with a hunger for God. um, I was glad when they said to me, let's go unto the house of the Lord. That that scripture, I literally will cry, just sitting and thinking, I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Because that's such a healthy heart. A healthy heart says, I have no greater thought than to go worship the Lord of the church with the people of God like that. On the day of his resurrection, forget about it. Let's go. I'm in. I don't want to be somewhere else. People stay in skipping church because they're like, oh, who wants to go to church? And I'm like, you're so spiritually dead. Help us, Lord. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful heart's <laughs> desire when you have someone. Then you get a whole group of people saying, I was glad. When they said unto me, "Let's go into the house of the Lord," and and obviously with the you know my story, having gone through the church wounds that we've gone through as a, as a body, and then seeing so many of our friends de-churched now, that 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 verse is more beautiful to me than before. You know, I was glad when they said unto me, "Let's go into the house." And when you get that, when you get a bunch of people going, "Come, let us." This is another passage. I don't know where 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 it's. Google knows where its home address is. Come, let us return to the Lord together. So in the book of Acts, it's the first revival. Book of Acts, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Jesus, before, before it happened... Post-resurrection, he hangs out with the disciples, and what's the last thing he says before he ascends to heaven to the right hand of the Father? Wait. Man, I'm so emotional right now. Don't run ahead. Wait. You're going to be clothed in just a few days, just in, in just a few days, you'll, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And then and then, when that happens, but not before. When that happens, when you are clothed with power from on high, do you know what it feels like? That nightmare that we all have of being in middle school and getting up to give your speech and then you're naked? (laughs) And then you're in the cafeteria and no one wants to sit with you and you also happen to be naked. And then you wake up and your real life actually does have that emotion though your clothes are on. To where the wrong person met, knocks on the door and you want to pretend you're not home and hide?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> or they call on the phone and you're like, oh, and you have to pray for the courage to get the phone out and call them back? <laughs> Tell me I'm not alone. No, no. That's, called, that's called naked. And when the Holy Spirit comes on me in power, I'm not that way. I'm as bold as a martyr. Or as Jimi Hendrix, the great theologian, said, yeah, you're bold. Bold is love. But he was right. Love is bold. So you will be my witnesses after you're clothed with the glory of God, after you're clothed with the power of God, the fire comes down. Literally, like individual flames, or tongues is what they're called, but it means the individual flames go to each person and then like rest on them. And then... They go into ecstatic worship in languages they have never learned. And they go outside because they apparently can't hold still any longer. Ever been there?
1: Ah, yeah, today. It's like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's your default. You're funny. To to where they they go out to the public space and they don't contain their worship. They're not in a service and they're outside worshiping. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's bold. Ain't no band. They're just outside, going. Yes, you're worthy. You're so amazing. Oh, you parted the Red Sea. Oh, you didn't. they're just declaring all the good things God's done. I know what he's saying. How does he know my language? And they're like, I don't. And then they keep saying it. So, and that's that's the that's the first uh, that's the first revival. And it, and the whole book of Acts then is about the and then the spread. You know, that's the book of Acts. Just charting the spread, the move of God across, literally geographically across the face of the earth, of the known world of the time. Okay, early monasticism I have also here. So, this happened like, I want to say, 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries. Like, Christianity started to be legal. And once Christi- when Christianity was illegal and persecuted, holiness was at a high level. Power was at a high level. When it's illegal to be a Christian and we go and kill you, it pretty well gets rid of the people who are in it for the wrong reasons, right? But then all of a sudden the emperor says, I'm a Christian. And all these other chumps come out and they go, Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> And the church is flooded with half-committed, vaguely Christian, disobedient, unbelieving believers. What does the hungry church that wants Jesus? Well, they go to leadership and they say, guys, we want to follow Jesus. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to walk in holiness. We want to obey the Sermon on the Mount. We want to do the stuff. And the church says, I'm kind of feeling attacked right now. Like I feel like you're saying the rest of us aren't, bro. Don't be hurt. I'm just telling you where I want to. I want to do this. I want to do this. All right. Well, how about this? How about you? You go do you, over there in a corner, and you let us keep doing what we be doing. Which is, by the way, why for the first like 1,100 years of church history they didn't have. They didn't have church splits. Because they basically found a way to take the people that would have split and started their own denomination, and they just let them start their own little monk group, nun group. So the Catholic Church dealt with revivals by sort of, we get to stay sucky, you get to go be godly. Cool. Oh, you've been baptized? You're saved. Live however you want. No problem. Once you're dead, your family will pay us money. We'll pray them out of purgatory. It's all good, baby. It's all good. Now, I'm not trying to say that was all Catholics. It's not my point. I'm saying the monks and nuns, they were like, we just want to know Jesus. We want to actually know Jesus. So that was a form of revivalism. It might be strange for us to think about that, but the spiritual gifts were practiced in some of those places, y'all. Did you know if you, if you go through church history, there is never a generation without a revival and there's never a generation without miracles. These people who are like, the Spirit stopped moving after the Bible was given. It's a lie. It's a lie. All right. What else do I got in here? Oh, let's skip forward. Protestant Reformation. Why do I write so slow? I wish I could just go. Okay. In the 1500s, there was a monk named Luther. He was an Augustinian monk. And he was just trying to say to the church, hey, we should maybe stop being greedy. Maybe we should stop promising people heaven who lived like, for hell their whole life. Maybe we should stop letting people think they can buy their way into heaven. Like, he, was just like, he just gave a list called the 95 Theses. How many points do you think it had on it? 95. And he was like, 95 stuff we should do better. So that's, a, that's a long list. And instead of doing the thing that the church had usually done, which is, well, why don't you go start your own monk group? Well, you're already in one. You're in the Augustinians. The the pope at the time said something different. You're going to apologize and pretend you never said this, or we're going to kill you. And he said, well, that's, that's not fun. I don't like that. And he gave his famous speech, and he said, listen, a lot of the stuff that I've written is just basic Christian stuff. I can't repent of that. And the stuff that you're asking me to repent of, honestly, my conscience is held captive by sacred scripture. An act against conscience is never right or safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. Then he walked away thinking, there, tomorrow's my day. But Prince Ferdinand rescued him, kidnapped him took him into the Wartburg Castle, hid him, kept him safe, and said, hey boy, here's what we're going to do. But just imagine this is a very thick German accent. Hey boy, here's what we're going to do.
1: We're
0: going to translate this Bible into German and we we'll would be done with the Pope. And, and Luther's like, he's probably the Antichrist anyway, so ding, and the Reformation begins. <laughs> and ever since then, a whole bunch of us have said, hey, I have an idea. How about I submit to the Bible rather than somebody else's interpretation of the Bible. That makes us kind of Protestants, doesn't it? Rediscovered the idea that salvation is a gift given by God for everyone who believes in Jesus. And by believe, we don't mean believes about Jesus. We mean says their yes and trusts in Jesus. And then, poof, they're 100% forgiven, 100% saved. Holy Spirit comes in, makes them a brand new creation, and then Causes them to continue to follow God until they get to heaven. That's just basic Protestantism. That was a revival, a rediscovery of the gospel, a rediscovery of the book, a return, again, back to the cycle, return back to the sources. Did they get it all right? Probably not. No, no. They they killed a lot of each other in the name of getting it right. Not cool, dudes. Not cool. Okay, next, next one I want to look at. You guys remember the Moravians? Zin, Dorf? Kind of like Dorf on golf. Dorf on golf? He would like kneel and pretend he was short? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Moravians, they just wanted a place where they could worship God. But because Europe, everyone had their own little opinion. Remember how I just said that Protestants got some things right, but one of the things they got wrong is agree with me or die. Ugh getting tired of this stuff. Can somebody just be nice? You know what I mean? Thank you, Quakers. The Quakers decided they would be nice, which is why there's so many Mennonites in Pennsylvania. William Penn, the Quaker, Pennsylvania. Full of Amish people, not because Amish and Quakers are the same, but because Quakers were like, we ain't going to kill you. Just, just, just come here and have babies. Good. So the Moravians are wandering around Europe just trying to find a place to live. They just want to worship God. Zinzendorf says, y'all can live in my, my zone. And then they're fighting like crazy. They are fighting like cats and dogs. They can't get along. Because you know how it is. Like the desert, the, the guy re- stranded on the desert island for like 20 years. They come rescue him. And they're like, wow, how did you make it? And he goes, you want me to show you the island? And he's like, yeah, here's where I cook my food. And here's where I go out and catch the fish in the morning. Here's where I, oh yeah, that's my church. Huh, what's that other building over? Oh, that's my, that's my new church. That's my new church. That's where I, that's where I go now. And that other church, so judgmental. <laughs> So the Moravians can't get along. And Zinzendorf rebukes them and says, this is stupid. Y'all love Jesus. Figure this, figure this out. Basically, he just got very parental with them. And then they had this big old service of repentance where they had communion and cried and apologized, and like really apologized. I'm sorry. I have hated you. I, I, I'm called to love you. I've treated you like this. I've said this about you. And I've been so mad at you. And they just, they, they, bleh. You know what happened? They had a 100-year prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting that didn't stop for 100 years, day and night. And they sent so many, it was, the birth, it was the birthplace of the modern missions movement. 100-year prayer meeting. And again, notice that. They didn't just stay in there and pray. They got so saturated in God's presence as they prayed. It started with repentance, right? It right? started with holiness. Well, first it started with, I'm an idiot, Lord. That's where, that's where it started. I'm all kinds of messed up. Life's no fun the way I am. That's, you know, yeah. denial is the first step to admitting you have a problem. <laughs> that's, that's not how that quote's supposed to go. <laughs> Confession <laughs> is the first. <laughs> yes. yeah. And it led to prayer. Well, it led to apologies. And then it led to let's seek God together. We need help. We need to change. This is harder. Than, I don't know how to love you the way I'm called to love you. I ain't got the love I need to have. <sighs> You there? Have you you're there with me? I'm, I'm there. Help. I'm in over my head. I need more love. I need Jesus way down deep. And then the prayer saturates them so much they, they can't stay anymore. Remember the story Anthony Gaiman told when he was here about these young, like 21-year-old Moravians selling themselves into slavery so they could go to a people that they couldn't get to otherwise? And then shouting encouragement to their weeping family as they board the boat. Let the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. That's a revival, y'all. I'm just giving you some, some. Y'all know John Wesley and George Whitefield. Now we're in the 1700s in like England. Y'all ever heard of Great Britain? Oh, John Wesley and George Whitfield. Wesley found, met some met some uh, did he meet some Moravians on a boat? And, And they were like unafraid in the storm and he was like I'm gonna die. And he was a preacher. Like a pray and fast and give all your money to the poor and be too skinny and like stay up late and sleep on the cold hard ground to try to be obedient to God. But then when Things got down to it and the ship is like, I'm going to die. He was terrified because all his hard work to obey Jesus, he really didn't think, matter if it wasn't enough? Because he really didn't yet understand the gospel. He didn't really understand the, this is the only thing that's enough, y'all. He obeyed where I didn't. And he paid the price for where I didn't. I'm either going to trust in that or I'll never, never know if it's enough. And that's plenty. That's more than enough. Blood of Jesus is more than enough to cover the sin of a million worlds far worse than this one. Far worse. You think your sin's going to stand up to that? Come on. Get a clue. But he's terrified. But these Moravians are just singing. They're just singing and praising God. And he's like, teach me. And they go, oh, you don't know the gospel? And he's like... Of course I know the gospel. You don't know Jesus died for you. I know Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Oh, but you don't know he died for you. What? You know he loves us, right? I mean, yeah, I know he loves sinners. But you don't know he loves you. So he, he goes back to to, Inc., to London and he's like, what the heck's going on here? I'm a failed missionary. I've been doing this all my whole life. I've been trying to serve Jesus my whole life. And I don't have what they have. I need whatever it is they have. He finds out this guy's going to be speaking. Shows up at this meeting, and then he says, It was what? It was a quarter to nine? And so and so was reading from Martin Luther. Oh, there's that guy again. From Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. Suddenly I felt my heart strangely warmed. And I felt, I really do believe that Christ died for my sins, even mine. Suddenly it got real. And whew, he started to preach different, y'all. His sermons were marked with offering Jesus to sinners so that they can know that they are forgiven. That they can know they're going to heaven. That they can know they belong to the Father. That, they, that they're under the smile of God in life with no fear of death. His preaching changed, y'all. And guess what started to happen? Stuff that, they, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like people didn't just say, I would like to receive this Jesus. They would like fall out the chair crying. Some people would faint. Some people would shake. Some people would have an uncivilized display of emotion that is not appropriate for a lady of such standing. <laughs> So his friend George Whitfield said, What are you all doing over there? Whitfield said, I hear tell of crazy manifestations and behaviors that are not dignified and that certainly are not orderly, like the Bible says. <laughs> and, and, and Wesley says, We didn't pray for it to happen. We never talked about it. We never consulted God about it. And He certainly didn't consult us.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm just preaching Jesus. I don't understand what's going on, but I can't fault The fruit. Whitfield came. Oh, Wesley had started to preach outside. He noticed he was trying to get like like coal miners and different people to come to church and they wouldn't come to church. They ain't got the clothes for it, covered in soot and yeah, They ain't coming to church and he goes, you know what? I'm gonna have to go where they are. And it offended him. Well, actually his journal entry, I was reading in Wesley's journal a while back, like a good 15 years ago or something. It's hilarious. Was asked to preach at such and such chapel in the afternoon. Was asked never to return. Preached at...
1: Su-
0: Dude, like six journal entries in a row say that. He ran out of places that would let him preach. This was in England. It was the parish system. He were not allowed to preach. Preaching in another preacher's county... Was viewed as like spiritual adultery, without you know, it was without being endorsed and invited. And there's only one place to preach; it's inside the church behind that pulpit. I guess they pronounce it pole pit. (laughs) -pit. People got offended at me for wearing a T-shirt behind the pole pit. Was Was asked never to return, and then just kind of goes on. He's not upset. He just he's just journal entries, just reporting. He doesn't seem upset. He's just like, that happened. Never, didn't stop. Preach justification by grace through faith. Mighty response was asked not to return. Uh, So he starts to preach outside when he finally realizes these people need Jesus. Their preachers ain't getting it done, and they ain't letting me back. So he'd like stand up on a stump and just read from his Greek New Testament. The man was like four foot three. I'm joking, but he was very short. His statue at Asbury College was life-size, or Asbury Seminary was life-size. And I'd walk past him and be like, say a prayer for me, buddy. I'm about to take this exam. And then I'd chuckle because he was very short. Anyway. Yeah. You rub him on the head for good luck and give him a kiss. These are jokes, people. We were not praying to Wesley. Okay. And he'd start preaching outside. And people came to Jesus. So Whitfield, his buddy, who was a way better preacher than him. Like, Whitfield preached so good, I think it was like... um, Benjamin Franklin heard him one one time and said wrote wrote something like if that man if I, I'm glad I didn't take my wallet to the meeting out of just given him everything I have and I don't believe this man I don't agree with him I don't agree with any of his doctrine but under the power of his words I just wanted to go yes Whitfield so Whitfield says Wesley what are you doing what's going on with I'm hearing about all these uncivilized behaviors and he's like bro I don't know it just happens well so he says, Why don't you come and preach and see what happens? So Whitfield comes and preaches holiness and justification, and he's a fire breathing dragon of a preacher. I mean, people are falling out of trees and stuff, y'all. <laughs> Whitfield doesn't know what to do. He's like, I didn't do it, I didn't make it happen. There was this one thing they called the jerks. If it has not happened to you yet, don't judge it. It might happen just because you judged it. God has a little list called bucket list of stuff you said, you'll never catch me doing X and Y. And he goes, that's on the list. Got to humble you now. And afterward, Whitfield was like, oh, now I get it. And Wesley wrote him a little letter and says, I trust that we shall all allow the Lord to move from now on however he pleases. (laughs) It's a little spank of his friend, like "Quit, quit criticizing the Lord. Jonathan Edwards, in the same uh, 1700s, was a New England Puritan. Let's put him on the board. Edwards, you ever heard of the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? I've read that sermon, and I don't fully agree with all of it, and I don't use its, its techni- techniques in my preaching. Like, I don't try to scare the hell out of you, which he did. But he didn't yell it. He stood there and basically said, if you are unrepentant and you are unconverted, here's how your situation stands. Every moment, you are that far from death, an eternal death. It is as though you are standing on the thinnest of threads over the eternal fires of hell. And the only thing keeping you alive at this very moment is the mercy of God. The only thing. And you might say to yourself, one day, one day, one day, I'll respond to the Lord. You don't know. How do you know? That is so presumptuous. Every moment you are heaping up extra wrath in hell. Every moment you, you persist in your rebellion. Every moment you cheapen his grace. Say, so that's just the way he would talk. And while he would, all he was trying to do was say, are you dumb? Would you please get saved? That's what he was trying to say. But he took three hours to do it. And he never yelled, He just stayed very calm, and he painted very very vivid pictures of like an insect, a disgusting cockroach being dangled over a fire. And and God hates the cockroach, and there's no reason he shouldn't cast it into the fire, except he thinks, maybe I'll save it. I would like to save it. See, that's why I say I don't agree with all of Edward's imagery and and ideas. Do you? I'm like, whoa, does that not really how God feels? A disgusting cockroach? Uh, Okay, well, I would have said that differently. I would have said he definitely hates my sin. (laughs) And he definitely loves me. But when he would preach, same stuff. The emotional reaction of people was crazy. Because people realized, I've been in church my whole life. I promise you I'm not right with God. I've gone through the thing. I've been baptized. I've come here every week. I say the stuff. I know I'm not. I know I'm not in. They got under what, what now we call conviction. Conviction where the Holy Spirit makes clear the weight and significance of your spiritual condition in the sight of a holy God. And an urgency would come upon them. He wasn't yelling, but the Spirit made it urgent. The hound of heaven is what they call that. And people would fall out of their seats and weep, plead with God, beg with God, shout and cry out. And again, women would faint and lay as dead. Men, and then, and then, people would encounter God's grace and be transformed. Suddenly they would sing endlessly with passion and energy because they had been heard. They had crossed over. Their sins had been forgiven and their conscience was clean and everything shifted. (laughs) And he was so criticized. You know what he was criticized for? People's emotions. It's not dignified for for people to have that kind of emotion. That's That's what they said. They said this is sensationalism. And this is what Edward said. I probably have this quote memorized from reading it as a 19-year-old new convert. Isn't that weird that I have that in my brain? It is my duty. It is my duty to raise the emotions of my listeners as high as I possibly can, provided that I use nothing but truth to do it, And provided that the nature of their emotional response is consistent with the nature of the truth proclaimed. Does that sound right to you? You're telling me they shouldn't get emotional about forgiveness of sins from an eternal hell? You're telling me they shouldn't get emotional about their loving Father putting His adopting grace on them when they deserve the opposite? You're telling me they won the lottery of eternity and they're supposed to sit calmly and sing like as though they don't care? It is my duty to raise the emotion of my listeners as high as I possibly can, provided I use nothing but truth to do it and provided that the nature of the emotional response is consistent with the nature of the truth proclaimed. Instead of emotion being wrong, It's the lack of emotion that disturbs the Lord. That was a revival. Formality was being replaced with authentic faith. Cane Ridge revivals, let's just pretend this is over here. Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Similar things happened. Here's a story from the Cane Ridge revivals the jerks were happening, the jerks. And these boys, their sister came home with the jerks, and these boys were like, that dirty, filthy, dang preacher had special magic powder up his sleeves and mustard on her. And then she came home all under the influence of these psychosomatic drugs. We're going to go beat him up. Let's go beat him up, boys. So they go in to beat the preacher up and breast into a sermon. Hey, we're going to kill you. And he, <laughs> and he just goes and walks over to them with his hand raised like he's about to bless them and pray for them. And then oh! the jerks come on him. <laughs> And, and they run out fleeing like, it's real. I'm staying away from church forever. Cain <laughs> Ridge. That was a multi-denominational revival. I think 1850s-ish, somewhere around there. Multi-denominational. That's cool. There's a bunch I'm leaving out. Like Andrew Murray in Africa, different things happening. Like The Andrew Murray one, he's written like 100 books on different kinds of prayer and, and virtues. I remember him talking about the sound. They had like a youth, the youth led a service. The sound entered the room. Like the sound of the wind. But like low and rumble, entered the, entered the room and like, okay, now it's time to get real low to the ground and very serious about worship. Like, you know what I mean? That Everybody says, oh, I'm not afraid of God. Uh, in the glory of God, I would, oh, oh God's my daddy. Just run and jump up on his lap. And then the manifestation shows up and everyone's on the ground like dead. You know, and a lot, like, I can't remember the brother's name, but he would pray and people would leave. Because yep. God's presence would fall in so thick and his holiness would fall in so thick that people would slowly, just one by one, get up and go, yep. I got to take a break from this as the intensity is just a little too hot for me. You know? Because the real God is not the little Jesus cartoon drawing in your mind. <laughs> it's like, you know what I'm talking about? That's why I say, like, that's not our work. That's not Revival's God. It's God showing up in power, doing stuff that we can't do and can't define. I, I said this when I was in Florida. I've been praying for a good decade now for the, for the manifestation of the glory of God to come into this room. It doesn't have to be this room. It could be any room that I'm in. The cloud... The visible cloud of glory, like in the Old Testament, I've been praying for the cloud to show up, so that the real little kids, just the real little ones, they can see it, and we can say, "Do you know? Do you see that? Here, let me let me lift you up. You see that?" Which one of the Randy's right hand man? Which 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 one of those dudes? Used to be a pastor in Florida at Suncoast. He's been super helpful to me. Prayed over me a couple times. I'll think of his name later. He told this story actually happened to him with his with his grandpa. He was the little kid. His his grandpa lifted him up, put him on his shoulders. He saw the purple glory cloud in the room, just a foot and a half over people's heads. You lift up your hand. Put your hand in the glory and you'd either get filled with the spirit or healed or whatever, something would happen to you. And people were just in awe and quiet and just singing quietly. And what is that? Look at it. His, dad, his, his grandpa gets him on his shoulders and says, that's God's glory, son. Never forget. Never forget. And what I want, what I want, that's what I'm praying for. And what I want is for my kids or grandkids. It's okay if it happens when I'm old, but I want to see it in my life. I want them to sit their grandkids on their knee and tell them a story. And then they have to grow up. And when they're old, they go, but I know grandpa's not crazy, and I know he's not a liar. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Something like that puts puts a burden of truth on multiple generations deep. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That stuff happened like in Africa with Andrew Murray. I didn't even put it on the board. Okay. 1900s, turn of the century, Azusa Street, out in California. Tongues starts to happen again. That that had to happen in a while. Tongues, the gift of tongues had kind of been lost. Healings happened like crazy. One one of them, one of them little, uh, there was a little girl in there. Her favorite thing was to put her finger in people's mouth and feel their tooth grow in where there wasn't a tooth. That was her favorite thing to do. Wow. Yeah, the fire department's being like, ah, oh, we're not even going down there. We know that's a false alarm. Dude would put a box over his head. The prophets are weird people, man. Put a box over his head and just wait. And if the glory came on him, then he'd preach. Whatever the, whatever the Lord said. And if nothing happened, he wouldn't preach. That's kind of fun. Stand up Sunday morning and say, I don't have a sermon for you. I don't know what we're doing yet. But it ain't a sermon because I ain't got one. And I ain't going to fake it. You know? I like that guy. Azusa Street. That spread everywhere, by the way. That spread. That spread everywhere. People went out there to get filled and then they took it back to all kinds of their places. And there's a Charles Parham out in Kansas. and it's a, it, We could go on and on. Okay. You got... Um, the, the Jesus people. Remember them? Hippies. Just hippies trying to figure out what the heck is life about. And they started falling in love with Jesus. And then churches didn't know what the heck to do with them. They come into service. They're not, they're not wearing suits and ties. They're not playing any of the games. But the Jesus of the church, they are all about. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but that Jesus guy, man, I am all about him. This feels right. Keep talking. When you're, The more you talk, the more I'm coming alive. And then sit on the ground and... And the church at Calvary Chapel started because what are we going to do with these Jesus people that don't fit into our like regular church stuff? Man, and, and then those people became like the megachurch pastors of the 90s that are now getting canceled. So, <laughs> yeah. There's a blessing in flying under the radar, but uh, shh. 1990s, the Toronto blessing. You ever heard of this one? All yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, let's just call them Jesus hippies. Toronto blessing. Um, John and Carolyn are not just been seeing God every forenoon seeking God, for, seeking God, seeking God, seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. And then they heard about some guy named Randy Clark, had prayed over some regional vineyard people, and God came. Randy, we gotta, we got to get you here." So they came, and he preached like 53 days in a row. Yeah, his wife was pretty stressed with the little kids at home. Yeah. Randy, what? This was supposed to be a weekend. I'm just imagining my wife. (sighs) (laughs) The Toronto Blessing. They, They later wanted to retitle it The Father's Blessing because that ended up being one of the major themes of the revival was people were getting in touch with how good the Father is. So much of Christianity has been Jesus saving us from a big, bad, scary, evil father. I heard somebody say that on a podcast just the other day. I heard the guy, the guy said, God poured out all his rage and all his issues and all his blah, blah, blah on Jesus instead of you. And you don't need to, you're not taking his holiness seriously enough. That's the problem with Christians. They're not taking God's anger at their sin serious enough that Jesus had to be murdered to get, just so you could be saved from God. They really believe that stuff. And I believe that the Father actually suffered worse than Jesus. Now, That's Tim's personal theory. The other day, I asked God that question. I wrote it on my whiteboard. I said, you know, God, was was the Father's suffering worse or the Son's suffering worse on that cross? I mean, I'm awed by both. I'm awed by it. And I don't really have the answer to that, but I suspect the Father's was worse. And then, and then and Paul says, if, son. Paul's logic in Romans 8 is, if God did not keep, hold back his own, his, that's his most precious, there's nothing God loves more than Jesus. There's nothing the Father has that's more precious to his heart than Jesus. And if he was willing to endure his son being mistreated and slapped and murdered, all that,
1: Mark, whipped and all that,
0: then how could we ever think the Father would withhold anything from us? If he wouldn't withhold his son, in other words, that's not an isolated incidence with the Father. That's the posture of the Father toward you. So the Father suffered in the cross, is Paul's point. And therefore, you need to know He's for you. He's for you. He's not against you. He gave you His Son. He wasn't trying to murder you and the Son stepped in between. He's not against you. He's the one who sent the Son. All right, okay. The Father... The goodness of the Father. And so you had people going to Toronto. And you know what was really interesting? I heard Heidi Baker, I think it was, burnt out missionaries and pastors had the most intense encounters with God in in Toronto. Those were the people who had to go into a Holy Spirit coma for three days kind of a thing. And like, are they drinking enough fluids? And should we call the authorities? And do they need an IV? And have they peed? Can you maybe take them to their hotel room? Because we can't just leave them on the ground overnight all night, can we? Don't the janitors have to sweep? I'm confused. Yep. Did they eat? That's the kind of stuff to you know? And Heidi, that's the kind of stuff that happened to Heidi. A lot of people who've gone through really, really, really hard things were healed in an instant. And by instant, I don't mean like, I mean in a weekend. Yeah. With intense... Some of us wish that we could intellectually fix emotional problems. The Lord's like, "Uh, no, you need to emotionally fix emotional problems. It came in that way and it's going to come out that way. You need need an experience of God more powerful than your experience of sin and Satan and death and rejection and divorce and abuse and all that other stuff. You need an experience of God stronger in the opposite direction in in that exact area of your heart. And then of course the, the thing became famous for laughter. God, you know, God have mercy on us if we get happy and laugh. Oh, God forbid we show joy. So laughter became a thing. I remember my, my church youth group. People started breaking out laughing during the singing and it was controversial. What? How is that controversial? How's come it's not controversial when people are just real boring? That should be controversial. I can't believe it. That sermon sucked. That guy should really repent. He didn't even look like he cared. But since when was... Anyway, okay, I'm off point. You can, you can feel that I, I get opinionated on some of these things. Because there's a real revival. And then people you know, find something to criticize. Brownsville was another one. Toronto. Brownsville. The theme of the, of the Toronto one was the Father. The theme of the Brownsville one is repentance. Holiness and repentance. Repentance, repentance, repentance. I think that's the one that our friend uh, Lori Cardinale said. Jesus came out of her TV and said, come, come, I'm, I'm waiting for you at Brownsville. And she did, and it was like life-changing. Maybe so. Yes. Huh. Children ha. Children of Revival.
1: Huh. well what, what really happened is um the pastor basically they went through a church split mm. and um and the pastor said you know what we're just going to seek god and and they were so hungry for god they would show up at five o'clock in the morning five of them and would pray and um and they just kept doing that and doing that and then god just like people started coming it started showing up, and it got to a point where, where they didn't have enough room to fill up. They, 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 people had to be waiting outside, and they were having three and four and five services a day. A day? A day. Because they didn't have enough room to keep that, the, the, you know, to have, they didn't have enough room to, to, for capacity.
0: And when all the pastors of a, of a city or a region get in on it, you know something's going on. Because, you know, pastors are territorial. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard people's testimonies who were a pastor from across the way who had kind of looked down on the revival and was like, whatever. Nothing wrong with us. How's come God doesn't move in here? And then they'd get in on it and he would move there. <laughs> oh, a little Abraham principle, right? I will bless those who bless you. Okay. And so many more we could talk about. So many more modern revivals. God has always been in the business of doing this. He has always been in the business of pouring out his, himself on people who want him. And when it happens to you, it's personal renewal. But when it happens to we, it's a little revival. When it happens to a bunch of we's, it starts to be a movement. Right, I'm just going to get through some of these notes real quick. Already, Pros and cons of revival. Here's a con. You get real close to God for a minute, then you go back to your life that's not the revival's fault but I'm telling you that's frustrating for everyone involved because then it makes you less open to the next one even though it wasn't God's fault here's a pro you're in love with God and you love people better there's not there's honestly the truth is there's almost all pros what sort of revival is sustainable I've been asking that question since I was saved basically like, I don't think it's sustainable for the entire region to meet every morning at 5 a.m. at the same mega church building. But I know that it's in the kingdom it's supposed to be normal for us to keep our spiritual zeal of serving the Lord. It's supposed to be normal for us to be filled with the Spirit every single day. It's supposed to be normal for us to walk out God's will every single day in a community. What we call revival, they call normal life in the kingdom. So I know it's possible for it to be sustained. I don't think it's possible without personal and corporate discipline. And I also think there are some people who are chasing a high instead of chasing obedience, right? Seeking, a, seeking an encounter with God more than they're seeking God. Now, I can't tell the difference by looking at them and neither can you, so let's not judge. But I am called to make an evaluation of what's my motive and steer the, my little heart. I'm here for you, God. I'm here to follow you. I'm here to know you. I'm here to do your will. But I need you. And I need you to touch me. And I will do. Like Dennis said the other night, Lord, you know I'm a mess, but I will do whatever you say. Also heal me. Make me not so much of a mess. Let's talk about manifestations. When the Spirit comes in power through all history, all history, all history, the whole history of the whole church, it's messy. It's always life-changing. It's always transformative. It's always beneficial. And it's always messy. It'll cost you stuff. It'll cost you friends Cost you family Cost you dignity When the spirit comes in power There's things like laughing Some people laugh Some people cry Some people feel the weight Of God's presence Some people just feel peace God Peace is incredible If that's what happens to you Like if you're in a prayer line And everyone else falls down And all you get is peace Peace Dude You might have got the best gift Don't Compare, receive what God's doing and go with what he's doing. Because what he's doing is better than what you think you need. Sometimes it's just like when the Spirit comes, miracles happen. And people who usually pray for the sick suddenly get results. Some people who've never prayed before, suddenly they're, they're just filled with faith and they start doing things and stepping out. Usually there's deeper conviction. Conviction not just of sin, but of God's love, of deeper conviction of What I need to do. There's just deeper conviction all around. There's joy. Sometimes people fall into trances. Yes, Lord, may I have another. There's people who who start to sing in the spirit, just ecstatically worship. Some people get songs. Some people get new languages in prayer. Some people get new capacities simply to pray. Like capacity is formed. Where... Before you, uh, i got to pray for five whole minutes. Oh, my word. And now suddenly you can pray, and you're not keeping track of the time. And if you happen to glance over, you're like, I guess time has passed because capacity has been formed. Because it's not so much out of obligation anymore, is it? It's out of delight instead of duty. And there's nothing wrong with doing things out of duty, but it's really cool when they, trans- when, they, when they cross the line over into delight. I, I told my wife today, I was like, listen, I read my Bible and pray, out of the fear of the Lord. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. Oftentimes people become obsessed with God. And that looks weird to the world. I mean, really weird. Because that's not the world's values. It's like, what's wrong with you? Well, actually, (laughs) that's flipped. Right? It's not what's wrong with me. It's what's wrong with the world. Correct, sir. So... Here's a weird detail, and you need to know this. Denominations that don't believe in the moves of the Spirit have scrubbed their own denominational accounts of revivals that birthed their denominations. Most denominations were born out of revival. And then they tell this great, amazing story of how we got here, and the historians go, going to leave out that manifestation, going to leave out that word of the Lord, going to leave out that dream, going to leave out that healing, going to leave that out. Oh, this is just a tiny sampling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, our Mennonites, there's all kinds of Holy Spirit fire. They've scrubbed the accounts of the manifestations, filtering the story through the denominational traditions until they can present a version of the events that is still true, but it's like the way you would tell a small child how babies are made. But you're missing all the important details that are actually fun. Yeah. Well, when a man loves a woman, he has a legally binding contract with the state of Delaware. And they kind of lay near each other, and babies come out of a stork at the hospital. It's very expensive.
1: And then you're a kid for 18 years.
0: And then eventually, they cost you even more money. Mike Bickle Bickle was talking about a room full of manifestations and he made this observation that I'm still puzzling over. I don't know if I agree with him or if I disagree with him, but I really appreciate him. He said, when you look around a room and it's just like littered with bodies and strange behavior, maybe 40% of that is God. That's a good discussion question. What's the other 60%? Because some people would immediately jump to devil. And I'm like, he didn't say that. What if, what if, and I did this one time, what if I'm in a prayer line and I don't want to resist the Holy Spirit and I know how I'm inclined to be that guy who's like, I'm going to keep standing no matter how much I feel like I can't stand him. I'm going to still stand. I'm not going down. And I'm saying, I don't want to argue with God. And I start to feel it, so I just go. And then I realize immediately, oh, I fell down. I wasn't... And then I pop back up. And then I go, well, now, what was, what was that? Was that flesh? Was that spirit? Was that me trying? Maybe if I, you know, like, is it that, like, priming the pump before you pull on the, on the mower? Is that what that was? You know, it, 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 stop overthinking it. It's no big deal. But that doesn't mean I had a demon. That also doesn't mean that that belongs in the 40% that is pure God. Are you with me? And let's, let's say that... You're, you're feeling so much emotion and you're shaking because of the emotion and you're shaking more because of the emotion than some sort of physical manifestation that you can't stop. Well, that's a real manifestation of hunger for the Lord. But, but if you get warm enough and take a bath and calm down, it'll stop. And that, I'm just saying just because it's 40% of what happened in the room was God doesn't mean the 60 other percent is the devil, it's a very complicated thing, though, when somebody falls on the ground, shakes, and makes strange noises. I don't know by looking at them right away, is it God? Is it mental health? Is it, I really want attention? Is it a demon? I don't know. Like, just by looking, it might be helpful to take them out of the room and ask them questions and listen to what you think the Holy Spirit's saying. Because if suddenly nobody's looking and they stop manifesting, seems like they wanted attention. One time Joy Dawson was preaching and my my little sister was in the room and somebody started loudly manifesting something right in the middle of her sermon and she looked right at him and she said, you stop that right now. If that's God, you can stop, stop it. The Lord doesn't want his word interrupted, stop. And they went And then she proceeded with a really powerful message. I'll let you do with that whatever you want because some of you would be like, that's horrible. And some of you would be like, that's helpful. You know, Randy Clark, on the other, way on the other side, and I kind of like how Randy does this. It does not matter what's happening in the room. Randy's just preaching the Word and okay with it all. Yep. <laughs> He's okay with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say we're done for the night because this stuff on the Welsh Revival was the second half of Sunday's sermon. And, and there were even notes in the computer. And Eric's like, well, you only preached half your sermon. So maybe I'll just preach the other half a different time. But just trust me when I say the Welsh Revival, cool. All right, let's pray. I'll give you the four points. Repent of all known sins. Rid your life of everything doubtful. Obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit quickly and publicly confess Jesus unembarrassed. So if you know it's a sin, get it out of your life. If, you have, if your conscience is like, I can't tell if it is or not. If it's doubtful, get it out of your life. Obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit quickly. Right now, stop overthinking it, just go. And the fourth thing is, be unashamed in public to be affiliated with Jesus. Those four. I love Jesus! Th- those were the four. <laughs> and Evan Roberts, at age 25, led a whole nation into revival, and it touched many nations. And then he had mental health problems, had breakdowns, got with the wrong people, got away from grace, and got real screwed up, and kind of didn't make much of a dent the rest of his life. But when he was young, he was on fire. And there's, there's a, these are four really healthy principles of just, like, let's, can we be real? Can faith be real? And it's not real if we have known sin just like in our life. Yeah, I steal from my employer. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Come on. Like, no, cut it out. Wait a minute. Isn't that from Full House? Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's pray. We'll talk more about that later. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've never, ever, ever since Pentecost till now left the earth. You've never left. And thank you that we don't get Randy's anointing We don't get Tim's anointing. We don't get Bill's anointing. We don't get Stanley's anointing. We get Jesus's anointing. Every one of us gets Jesus's anointing. We get the Father's anointing. We get the original flame. We get the original flame. We get the same spirit that raised you from the dead Lord Jesus. And you love to restore us to fullness. You love to restore us. Right now, just in your own prayers, in your own words, be asking Him for whatever's in your heart to ask Him for. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. God. Yes, God. God. This is what we need. We need this individually. We need this corporately. We need this nationally. We need this globally, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. You are the answer. More of you. More of you. More of you. More of you for Russia and the Ukraine. More of you in Washington. More of you in our families. More of you in our marriages. More of you with the opioid crisis. More of you with gender confusion and cultural unrest, more of you with food shortages. We need more of you, God. The wisdom of humans is not enough. We need your leadership, Jesus. You know. Your way is better. Your gospel is better. Your kingdom is better. Your will is better. Lead us, God. Make us humble. Make us merciful and kind. Make us non-rude, non non-judgmental, but make us uncompromised, uncompromised with truth, uncompromised in our obedience to you, unashamed to be affiliated with Jesus, okay with being persecuted, with being misrepresented, with being slandered, with being thought of as mean and evil and judgmental and rude and nasty and old fashioned and sexist, when we're none of them. We're none of them. We ask, God, for an increase of your presence. We ask for an increase in our faith. We we ask that your word would go forth in power. We ask, God, for the grace to follow you in daily life and to do the little hard things of obedience, death to self, so that others can receive a little bit more of you. We ask, God, for a revival. We know that it's not in our power to do. We know that we can't do it. We also know you will likely not do it without our cooperation. We also know that you called us to play a part in preparing the soil of our heart. In getting out of our life the things that that keep us from seeking you instead. Things we are seeking instead of you that are in the place that you want to be in our heart. So we ask God for you to help us make room. Help us make room, make room, make room, make room. And God, we ask that this this topic tonight would just be sort of the beginning of a theme for us, that we would go on a journey. Take us on a journey. Would you continue to connect this people with like-hearted believers? We're okay if they're not in a package we like or are used to, but we, we just want people who say, I want to do God's will. I just want to do your will, Father. Those are our people. And I ask that you would cross-pollinate us with healthy people, that our fires would burn brighter, that they would burn hotter because of our getting near each other. And that people would catch fire and get saved and have encounters with you and change their whole college major because they now realize that the only reason they wanted to do that was the wrong reason let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven today thanks God for the food we ate today we thank you for the forgiveness that we, ha- that we live by we thank you God that you have been leading us and we ask that you continue to lead us not into temptation because you know how weak we are We ask instead that you would deliver us from evil. The kingdom is yours. The power is yours. And therefore, we're going to give you all the credit, all the glory in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks, guys.